A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. And today's episode, well, it's, uh, it's a bit special. I got to sit and, uh, and spend an hour chatting to Glenn Matlock. Glenn Matlock of the Sex Pistols. Glenn Matlock, whose career we discuss at length uh, on this and, and covers so much grand you know playing with the faces playing with Iggy Pop and there's 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 a lot there's a lot going on in this chat and uh and you're in for a treat um before we we kick off the chat just uh, a quick thank you to uh, 76 for producing this podcast um and also um thanks to uh, Scroobius Pip and uh, and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network and if this is your first time listening to Off the Beaten Track podcast then um when you finish listening to my chat with Glenn Go and explore the back catalogue because there's about 220 episodes now and you can hear me talking to guests as diverse as Chuck D from Public Enemy, Fatboy Slim, Melanie C um, of the Spice Girls, um, Tommy Lee of Motley Crue, uh, through to James Lavelle, uh, actors such as Maxine Peake, Amanda Abington, um, and there's producers, there's comedians such as James A. Caster, Ed Gamble. Uh, go, go and have a, a rummage in the archives because I'm sure you'll find uh, some episodes that would tickle your fancy. And if in any way, shape or form you'd like to support this podcast, then the best way to do that uh, and also get extra content is to head over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And uh, it's patreon.com forward slash off the beat and track podcast. Um, and... And, and over there, I upload three uh, unique shows each week and uh, sometimes video episodes as well. And you can support that for, I think, it's about 71p a week. And, uh, and yeah, so it helps kind of go in the pot to support the podcast, um, which is a labour of love. And it's a wonderful, wonderful labour of love. So, uh, yeah, any help is, uh, is much appreciated. And, uh, and, yeah, you can find out about all the back episodes, the Patreon, merch, if you're interested, and, and everything else at www offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com that's beat and not beaten beatandtrackpodcast.com okay right back to today's episode it gives me proper pleasure to say this please enjoy off the beat and track podcast with glenn matlock it's off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network with me stew with him Right, we are recording. Joining me uh, this evening via the means of a Zoom call, Glenn Matlock. Hello. All right, how you doing? All right. Yeah, yeah, not too bad. We're uh, recording this on the seventh. We've just discussed the uh, before we press record. We've just discussed in the uh, the coup uh, in Washington, uh, which was just bananas last night. But Glenn, before we sort of start talking records, I just want to ask you regarding kind of current affairs and. Hang on, what records we're going to talk though? It's not. I mean, I don't know who won the, the 100 metres relay in 1973. <laughs> I know I nearly did in about 1971. I ran for my school at the old White City Stadium. Well, we'll definitely be talking about school. Don't worry about that. I can promise right. you that. Um, but yeah, I just want to ask you how you found, well, I mean, we're recording this, like I say, at the beginning of January 21, um, how you found uh, the last 10 months as, as just as a human being and as a, as a musician? It's it's, um, it's it's been very frustrating, to be honest. But 
I, I think I'm a, I'm a bit older now. I'm not skint, not loaded. Um, I've been running around doing like my own stuff, a bit like Edless Chicken sometimes. Got been to some great places over the last three, four, five years. You know, Japan, South Korea, Palestine, South America, Australia, the States, touring, you know, doing my own stuff, meeting loads of cool people. And I kind of... Not tired of it, it's great, but it, it does take it out of you a little bit. So maybe maybe just for me, luckily, it's kind of coincided when it's time to s- step back a little bit. I'd rather a step back of my own choosing than act to because of what's gone on. But what's gone on is what's gone on, you know, so... Are you missing it, though? Can't count it. Kind of a little bit. I don't. I try not to think about it too much because I've kind of managed to sort of remove myself from things. If you miss it too much and you get frustrated and you beat yourself up, whereas if you have, there's a good Rolling Stones song called "No Expectations," and I think that's my maxim for now. Yeah. I don't mean I'm not doing nothing. I'm, 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 what I am most frustrated about was. This time last year, I just about finished making a brand new album that I'd recorded prior to the previous Christmas. Then was heads down doing all the vocals over Christmas, and then I did a tour with my band with El Slick, who's in it, and Chris Mustone, Jim Lowe. We did about ten gigs around the country. It took us up to early February, and then I was supposed to be going to the States. The Dropkick Murphys asked me to open up for them in their big. Um, St. Patrick's Day show in, in Boston, in the nice. States. I was going to do that, and I had about 10 solo shows after that, on the back of that, you know, going up to Canada and the East Coast of the States, and I was being offered more shows. I've got a mate who was going to put me up. I had a work permit until the tail end of last year, still valid. And then I was going to sit in the studio and mix the album with the guy who did the last one, Mario McNulty, and I couldn't, and that's, that's been it. So I kind of got this unfinished business there, and, and it's been mixed, but it needs tweaking. You've got to sit with a bloke, you know, and we've tried doing some things over the phone, and it's like when you record, you put loads of ideas on, and then you have to sift them all out. And yeah. We haven't been out to do the sifting out, you know. Have you um, found it personally, though, Glenn? Um, well, it was a laugh at first, actually, because when the first lockdown happened, we'd finished touring, and Al stayed with me. So he was there for about three or four months. Then we did a few online shows together on Facebook and a couple of other bits and pieces. We even we even headlined the Pyramid Stage at um, Glastonbury. This is bloke lives around the corner. He, he'd sort of somehow got the rights to use it as a junior school. And he put a green screen up, and he superimposed this on the pyramid stage at Glastonbury. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, things like that. I did do a couple of gigs. I, I went to tail end of the summer. I went to um, Sicily. I played a, an acoustic show in an amphitheatre. I'd never been to Sicily before, and um, it was a sort of like a council amphitheatre in this town called. What's it called? The Gatsan or something. But it was actually halfway up Mount Etna. So that was kind of fun. And then we did a show at the um, Electric Ballroom. Um, like a socially distanced thing. How was that? October. Now, that was fine. It was kind of cool. You know, I was thinking what's going to be like with hardly any crowd there. It was all tables. But the thing is, when you do a reasonable size gig with lights shining in your face you can never see anybody yeah, anyway that's a really good point so yeah. and then you kind of get in there's i mean obviously if there's you're doing a massive show and there's twenty thousand people there which i do once in a blue moon not that often but there's a buzz from that but if there's anything down from that you know you're just kind of in the zone yeah and the few people who come down the front are about the same number as the few people down the front at the big gig so it's, yeah 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 it's not that different but but the money's different, of course. 
<laughs> All right. Well, we'll... Uh, I've done a couple of things. Like I've been, I've been doing little things, and then it, me and L, uh, Cunning Wheeze, instead of doing like an online gig, which everybody was doing at one stage, not great. I saw some. But my flat needed decorating, and we we kept talking. We're all all mouth and trousers. We thought we'd do a YouTube channel with me and him up the ladder, you know, like right said Fred painting the flat. But <laughs> it never really got more than talk. And then he left. He went back to the states. Then then um, I had to go painting it with my son. But I'm getting on a bit now. We did the old way, which was all right. But then I got bloke into it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been peppered with things like that, you know. All right, well, look, let's, uh, let's start the playlist, Glenn. And for track one, I'm going to ask you to tell me the song that you think has got the greatest ever intro. Greatest ever intro? Well, it's, it's quite a, f- a few, really. Um, I'll let you have a couple of honourable mentions as well then, mate. Well, you're not, you're not really... Um, this isn't a pop station, is it, I'm presuming? No, not at all. And I, I, it takes me back to 1973. I went to the... Um, Reading Festival, when I was still at school with my mates, to see the faces, but they weren't the same because it was with Tetsu, it wasn't Ronnie Lane, you know. Yeah. But, and I'd seen this band quite a few times when they did little clubs, Marquee, um, Kensington Town Hall, um, culminating at Amsterdam Odeon, and they'd had a number one hit or a top ten hit with Delilah. But this, they started playing this track and it went... <laughs> and it was Faith Healer by the Alex Harvey band. And I'd never heard it before. It was like, wow, that's got the most fantastic kind of beginning, I think. So, so am I right in saying that you've, you've played with the Faces? I played with the Faces about eight, nine years ago now. How was that from sort of seeing them back then and, 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 and being like a, you know, a really important gig for you and then to find yourself, you know, standing alongside and playing? Well, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. Um, I got the gig because I'd met Ian McLagan a long time ago and he actually did a tour with the Rich Kids and he plays on the album on the track. And we, always, we kind of got on and we lost touch and then we kind of made... He was on. He was on Round Table on um, Radio London, and I was driving down the Isle of Wight, and I know the people at the station. I, I called him up. Well, I pulled over and called him up, and said, "Yeah, give Mac my number." And then when you dr- drive out of London with Radio London, the, the, when you get to Petersfield, the signal goes. And all. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I was on a ferry to the Isle of Wight. Phone rang. And Matt, he said, oh, how you doing? Great to hear from you. What are you up to? When I got back, we met up for a coffee. And I said, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'll do this, you know, and do that. I said, what do you really want to do? He said, I want to reform the faces. And I said, well, look, you know, really later passed away, but I said, look, I know that you know, that I know that you know, that I'm the right bloke for the job to put in the world for us. And it didn't happen then. It took a couple of years to get together. I mean, the drag was Rod Stewart never did it in the end, but Mick Hucknall did it, and he was good. He, You know, the faces were always like a great rock band with a great soul singer, and he's a great soul singer. Um, um, but Rod was mucking them around a bit, and then they decided to just go ahead. But it was great, you know. It was Ian McDragan, I think, is the best white keyboard player. He's up there with Booker T in yeah. my book. You know, Ronnie Wood is my favourite guitarist. Kenny Jones, fantastic drummer. Up when I was pretty good on the bass. But I think I brought something to the table as well. You know, yeah. I've had quite a good feedback. Didn't do that many shows because Ronnie Wood got the phone call to rejoin the Rolling Stones. But the last gig we did. We headlined the Fuji Festival in ja- in Japan in front of 50,000 people. And there's me, and it was the band that I used to stand in front of the mirror pretending I was in them when I was 14. Oh, you know, it was great. I think that's the best thing I've ever done, actually. Yeah. But, oh, really? You know, yeah, I've, I've done, I'm more proud of that. Than, oh, right. Than, that's, that's, I mean, it's got to be... We're all, you know, all musicians are fans. Yeah. You know, Mick Jones was... It was a big uh, Motley Hoople fan. And not only was he in the fan, in the fan club, he's number one in the fan club. Really? He's still got the, the card as well. <laughs> That's great. And then I was doing some TV show, and our mates with JC from the members, 
And I was, what was I doing? Um, um, that was a few years back. But Phil Jupiter's was on it. You know, it was it was like um, it wasn't QI, but it was something like that. Oh no, never mind the Buzzcocks. Yeah. I, I, JC said to me, um, he said, "What are you doing?" I said, "Oh, I'm going to do um, never mind the Buzzcocks tomorrow or something." He said, "It's Jupiter's on it." I said, "I think he is." He said, "Ask him if he's, you know, still got his." Fa- Fan Cup membership, mine, all right. So I said, I know Jupiter's a little bit. I said, I was talking to JC. He said, you still got your your fan club membership? He said, yeah, but not on me. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's a fan, you know. Yeah. Some yeah. He's, um, he's from our neck of the woods. He's an Essex boy, Phil. And uh, he, he cut his teeth years and years ago. I, I run a live venue and have done for for 28 years now. And, and Phil kind of cut his teeth uh, under the guise of Porky the Poet. Um, oh, way, right. way back. And, uh, well, I, I first saw him. He was doing warm-up for the White Room. Remember that TV Yeah, program? yeah. Oh, that was a great show, that was. Was that Radcliffe? Yeah, was, uh, was Chris Cowie was the director of it. That's right. Was Joe, Joe Wiley present that? I can't remember. I can't quite remember, but there you go. But, but then, yeah, I know, I just know Jupiter's a little bit, but I've, when my kid was younger, I've, I've taken the time to see Blondie or the Stooges at Amateur Vodian. And Jupiter was there, and we was chatting, and Pi and Mash came up, and my son said, "Boss, Dad, what's Pi and Mash?" You know, about eleven or twelve, and I said, "Well, look, I'm going to go and see Clem over there," and I left him, and Jup- Jupiter was explaining to him about Pi and Mash. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful! A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. <clears throat> All right, well, I'm going to take you back um, a, a little bit now. And for track two, I'm going to ask you the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, Glenn. Oh. Boom, boom, boom. Well, it would probably... Well, actually, no, I, I think the things that really had the most impact on me, I actually put the records on myself. My uncle was about 10... My mum's my younger brother was only about 10 or 12 years older than me. And he'd sort of been a bit of a teddy boy and then was going to be like a mod in the early 60s. And he gave me his old 78s. And so the first records I actually put on was Jerry Lee Lewis, Great Balls of Fire, um, Teddy Bear by Elvis Presley, um, Hutzmann, Lord Rockingham's Eleven, and Raunchy by Earl Bostick, which was on Big 78s, you know, on the radiogram. That's what I... I mean, that's a good start, right? (laughs) It, well, yeah, a big old wood valve radiogram, you know, mahogany, like the sound with, with valves, it sounded fantastic. And that kind of coincided with, I mean, we didn't have a pop station back then, it was just Brian Matthews' show on a Saturday morning where he played pop music interspersed with comedy clips, you know, from Hancock's Half Hour and stuff, yeah. or the Navy Lark. I mean, and, I can see there's a, there's a Hancock poster behind your head. Oh, yeah, that's... that's um, <laughs> That's, that's an original poster, that. 
Oh, really? I, I, I came unstuck with that. It's, I've, I've had it about 15 years now. Down Westbourne Grove in London, I was walking down the street, it pissed down the rain, and I'm standing in the doorway and kind of went in, and there was nobody in there. It was a poster shop, all right? And the bloke came up to me, he said, can I help you? And I think I've got to write one here. And I said, yeah, how much is that poster there? And it, I mean, this is like 15, maybe even 20 years ago. And they had like a an original kind of Hitchcock rear window, a Vertigo poster. I said, how much is that? He went, 10. I said, what? She said, Graham. I went, oh, um, how much is that one there? And then it was like, you know, North by Northwest or something like that. And that's 12. And it's pissing down the rain, you know, and I'm trying to buy some time in there. I thought, I said, I bet you haven't got um, an original, the rebel Tony Hancock, have And he went, ooh. And he went out the back and he had one. It was 500 quid, so I got it. Wonderful. You know, but it was only because I was trying. But it's my favourite movie, that. So you mentioned the 78s now. And growing up at at home, where, where, where was home, Glenn? Pencil Green up the Arrow which is not far from uh, top of Labrick Road, Portobello Road. Way. But it was, it was great. I mean, it was one of the earliest heavy duty immigrant, West Indian immigrant neighbourhoods. Off, off. The kids at school were black. And, the, you know, this is infant school. And, um, you know, if you're just playing British Bulldog, somebody shout out blacks v whites. Which was always dark because they always beat us. <laughs> but, but I had great mates from then, you know, and um, a couple of them went on to be in um, music groups themselves. Galaxy, one of them, Phil Theron. Yeah, you know. of course. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I used to go to infant school with them. Really? Yeah, uh, Ferdinand Morris, he did something in the music business. Um, Phil Theron had loads of success in the early 80s, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. And also, he went, um, I remember we went on a school trip, I think, because it was infant school and junior school, and they took us to this place called the Jeffrey Museum in the East End. And it, what it is, it's like a sort of an interior design museum, right through from Tudor times, right up to kind of Edwardian stuff. And they had a different room decorated. So they were like three-sided rooms that you walked along the corridor and you came to another room and had like a red rope in it. And we got to the sort of Regency room and there was a keyboard there. And somebody said, anybody idea what that is? And a few kids said piano. Went, no, it's not piano. And somebody said, what is it? And it was like a harpsichord or a spin-out of harpsichord which I think Phil Ferron got right. He said, well, can anybody play it? And Phil Ferron did. And he said, come over. And not only did he climb over and start playing it, he played the same tune from Danger Man immaculately. He was, he was only about 11. It was fantastic. And the bloke's like, what? And we were like, what? Because I actually met him about three years ago. It was really bizarre. Um, I, I was putting on an event and I booked um, the the... the a woman who had a few rave hits at the sort of turn of the, the 80s called Baby D, <clears throat> who had a big hit with uh, Let Me Be Your Fantasy. That was it. And uh, and she's arrived with this guy, and I thought, I recognise him. And she introduced me to her husband, Phil. And after a while, I was like, you're Phil Fearon, aren't you? And he was like, yeah, and it was. And, and just he, he married her. And she started out as his backing singer in when he was doing, like, Dancing Tight and all the stuff with Galaxy. And what? so, yeah, it had gone kind of full circle. But he was a lovely fella. Yeah, he was a lovely bloke. But I haven't seen him for donkey years. And we sort of said hello through a mutual mates. The one bloke I do see is this other guy called Denzel Elaine. And um, he's actually a ticket tell. You know, if you go to a gig, Stenzel's invariably outside there and I'm with some people, you know, like maybe Slim Jim or El Slick, you know, I'm, we're on a guest list. And he's telling that like, I said, well, I used to go to Memphis school and he's like one of the top <laughs> tickets out in London. It's fun. I mean, he's, he's even outside Lords sometimes. I live not part of Lords. <laughs> but anyway, just going back to being in Cancer Green, it was kind of, um, you know, in the summer, everybody had their windows open because there was every duty West Indian community there and they'd be all Scar and Blue Beat blasting out the window. 
was, it was cool. In fact, we used to have a kick around in the street with one of the later members of the Scatterlights. Really? In fact, Denzel Lane's mum and dad split up, sadly, and she took in a lodger, and it was a bloke, a bloke from the Scatterlights, who I think actually ended up as a backing singer for some, somebody like David Essex, or not a real thing, or something like that. Maybe not a real thing, because I was from Liverpool, but... Yeah, there was this kind of little connection going. No, I know it was. It was. Um, he was with um, Paul Young. Oh, really? What Q-tips and that? <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah. Or even when Paul Young was doing Paul Young, yeah. you know, he's one of the fucking singers. Oh, brilliant! So, well, whilst we're talking school for track three, uh, I'm going to ask you, Glenn, what the song is that reminds you of school. Oh. I think it's got to be some kind of Tamla Motown thing. I think, um, in fact, I'm going to pick just because what's going on at the moment, but I remember going to a party up in Oldsham with my mate Eggy Boyle, whose dad run the Royal Oak and moves upstairs. But it was like a school party and somebody brought, is it Masterpiece Temptations? Mm. And ball of, it's got Ball of Confusion on it. And uh, Ball of Confusion, that'll do for this. What a record that is. Yeah. Well, it's all, I, I love it, all the bass playing. Then, then going back to playing with the faces, you know, we did Losing You. That's kind of cool, yeah. Papa was a Rolling Stone and a bad old bass line either, is it? Uh, no, Ball of Confusion, um, Cloud Nine. Yeah. You know, that whole kind of... That, that was kind of at the point where, like, Motown was, was changing a little bit, wasn't it? It had kind of yeah, gone from the sort of... Psychedelic. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think Marvin yeah. got a point at what's going on by then, hadn't he? And, and things had started yeah. to kind of get political yeah. and, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, like, then, then we would go to... There was a chain of discotheques in London called The Bird's Nest, which there was one in West End Lane, there was one in Chelsea, there was one in Fulham. And it was kind of funny that I had UV lights, you know, and all the girls drunk Pernod and Blackcurrant and the blokes would drink snake bites with a shot of Blackcurrant in it. It was like, it was, but, you know, you have a couple of them and I always found the top end of my hearing went a little bit and all I could pick up was on the, the bass lines. And oh, it's like, really? It's like James Jameson on all these fantastic Motown records, you know. It was all Motown then. Did, did, did you have any idea what you sort of... Well, well, first of all, did you enjoy school? Well, just kind of got on with it, really. Did you know what you wanted to be? Yeah, I wanted to be a musician from quite an early age. Well, no, no, it's not quite true. I kind of did. I was learning the guitar. I, I was quite good at art, so I went to art college. But I went to art college to because I'd read, you know, I was sort of reading up on bands by then, and it seemed most of them had kind of formed at art school. So I went to go to art school to form a band. But the funny thing was I went to art school and found a, a band outside of art school and then took them and introduced them to the London art school scene. So, so was what was that? Was that St Martin's? I went to St Martin's, yeah. Enjoy that? Yeah, it's great. I've still got some good friends from there. I'm, I'm an alumna of it. I get invited to something. But it was, what was good about it, I was 17... In the middle of summer. Yeah, that'd do. You look, and you come out and you walk down the street and you'd see Lucy and Fred and Francis Bacon going into the colony rooms. Or you go and buy a pencil at 11 o'clock in the morning because you didn't really have an idea of walk through the streets and you'd, you'd see in the window through the doorway of the York Minster, which everybody calls the French house now, but we just used to call it the French, but it was called the York Minster. Every bloke sitting there scribbling... And then you go and buy your pencil down Barrack Street and come back, at Rownies, come back, and the same bloke would be in the coach and horses having a pint. And it was Geoffrey Archer. Oh, really? You know, no, sorry, not Geoffrey Archer, Geoffrey Barnard. Right. And you know that whole thing in private eye Jeff been in? Yeah. Well, it was about him. And what he'd been doing, he'd been finishing out his copy and he'd obviously sent it up back by then and then he'd go into coach and horses. There was all these things going on, and in more recent years, maybe eight years ago, I got invited to a private eye literary lunch where you have like bangers and mash and cabbage, and 
talk with all these different people, like government ministers and the spy and some literary guy, in the room above the coach and horses, you know, with Ian Islop. It's kind of, it's all going on around there, you know. It's kind of cool. So I mean, it, it sounds ridiculously exciting, and and for someone that's you know spent so much time on stage in front of people, just going back to them kind of earlier years of of of, of you know school and 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 an art college, was you was you a confident kid? Ish. I won't paint. No, I won't painfully shy. Well, I wasn't in the life and soul. You know, my mates at college. I think I was at school. I think I was popular-ish. I wasn't particularly. I wasn't particularly um, academic. I kind of just scraped through on everything. But that was because, you know, you had so much homework to do. And I wanted to learn the guitar, and you can't do both. You know, something has to kind of give. And I, I would have wanted to do the art subjects, you know, like languages and history and literature and stuff. But because you could only do so much homework, you did the homework for the teachers you were most scared of. You know, you're being shit if you didn't do the homework. And that was like the science and the mathematics one. So I did their homework. The arts, history and languages people were more of a soft touch and I found so I had to kind of go down this doing A-level maths and and, and um, uh, physics and stuff and I kind of struggled you know but, uh, but, but, I, yeah, but I scraped for them you know and in regards to the kind of you know once you start sort of finding your way in music and I mean that's you know famously a ridiculously hard um, game to 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 reach success in, are you are you driven? Um, yeah, I, yeah. I think what's always kind of got me going is that I write, I write songs, and it's a kind of a funny thing. You know, you get an idea in your head for a tune or a lyric or something about, and it. It drives you mad until you kind of make a recording of it or finish the song off. It really does drive you mad. You can't think straight. And once you've got a song and you've got a few songs, you need an outlet for them. And you can't just say, you have to do something, you know. So back then, it's different now. You could be on the internet. And do, but then you couldn't. You had to play with people and then you had to do gigs and then you had to try and get a record deal and then you'd record and you got to do the press, you know, and it's the snowball that keeps rolling. But it was the fact... I have ideas for songs that don't go away. You know, and it's not constant, but it kind of comes and goes. So I'm driven in that respect. But then I was fortunate that just through some kind of gut feeling and realising, I found myself in the right place at the right time. You know, I met Stephen Paul and Malcolm McLaren. And the rest Um, is history there, I guess. hmm. Well, I'm going to keep in the formative years um, a little bit for this one. Uh, Glenn, I'm going to ask you the song that reminds you, um, sorry, the first record you remember buying from a record shop. Yeah, but I've, I've, I've been asked this a few times and I can't remember. It's one of two. It's okay. either You've Really Got Me by The Kinks or The Twist and Shout Beatles EP. And I've still got them over there somewhere, but I haven't got a very good filing system. Um, and I bought them from, I think it was Radio Rentals in Alston, next to Woolworths, where they, you could rent, or it might have been Radio Fusion, where you could rent your TV yeah. and washing brush, machine and stuff. And they would have the top 20 in those little pegboard transition things. And I think, I think back then, might be wrong, I think I remember a single being 1 in 11, and an EP maybe be being three and eight, but I mean that's that sixty-three, sixty-four. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to talk intros, you really got me. That's that's some intro right there. It's pretty good, yeah. Oh, unbelievable! Uh, uh, well, there's all there's fantastic sort of intros to loads of songs. Um, I like grooving by the Young Rascals. That's one of my yeah. all-time favourite songs. Um, in regards. To like record shops and that, like as you got older, did like did record shops become an important place for you? No, they, no, they didn't really for some reason. I think mainly because 
I didn't, apart from radio rentals, it was just enough to take anybody off. <laughs> didn't, didn't really have a local one that was kind of in wandering distance. I do remember going up to so holes and not even holes and proper Craven. Craven Park, which is the far end of Olsden, getting onto Stanbridge, and there was a record store there. Um, and I'd started listening to the John Peel show, but it was Top Gear, I think it was called back then, or even the Perfume Garden, you know, when he was still playing um, uh, t- t- Tyrannosaurus Rex before they come to T-Rex, you know, an audience and people like that. But just before, you know, to make sure you didn't miss... John Peel, you sit tuned in earlier on your transistor radio, and there was a show on, I think it was on a Saturday, at, you know, from six to seven, and then John Peel started at seven. There was the Mike Raven Blues program, and he played some great stuff. First time I heard the Israelites. Oh, really? Fact, that's, what's, that's what got me into proper music as opposed to just pop music. It was, it was going down my nans, and my dad's Morris Mine, and we didn't have a radio. We had the transistor radio on the back shelf. Every time he went around the corner, he had to turn it right fell over. <laughs> and I heard this weirdest sound that I never heard, and it was Israelites by Desmond Decker. Never, and I was like captivated. <laughs> and I kept listening to the rest of the program, and it turned out it was a Mike Raven Blues program. And um, and then it went into John Pill. So that's when I kind of first got kept to it. You know, I'm about 13 or 14. And, but he played, just going back to record shops. He, so he started off with like early blues and then he would put slot a few more kind of more contemporary things in. Um, that Charlie Gillett sort of did a similar kind of show. But anyway, I thought, oh, I'm going to get some blues stuff. And I, I went to try and get an album by, um, oh, uh, Robert, Robert Gould, you know, King of the Delta Blues Singers. He mentioned this album. Now, he didn't have it in the shop, but this sort of hippie bloke, you know, in flares and Afghan coat, thought it was weird that this slightly skinhead-looking 13-year-old comes and wants to buy a Robert Gordon album. And he sold me this double album called Story of the Blues. And that kind of got me into lots of things, you know, Big Bill Brunsy. And then when I got into The Faces and, you know, got into listening to them, I was hip to the small faces and I went down to Port Bella Road and I went to Rock On Records, although I didn't realise what it was. You know, Rock On Records, say Carol singer. Mm-hmm. I get my records, so I was in it, but I didn't realise. And I found this album, all the 78s come in cardboard sleeves, were all in the middle, stitched together down the side. I found an album that was like that. And it was the Faces Long Player. And I bought it just because it looked like the 78s that my uncle had given me. And you had and no was, idea what it was? No. I, I liked it. And it was when back in really sort of early 70s. It was all sort of Art Deco. And there was that movie, The Boyfriend, that Twiggy was in, you know. Yeah, and it was all yeah, yeah. mostly like roaring 20s or 30s kind. It was all that kind of thing going on. And the cover looked like that. And um, so I got it. And I did I, faces. And I didn't even realise I was sort of an offshoot from the small faces. And then they got like a big Bill, big Bill Brunsy song that, you know, I feel so good, which I actually played with them, you know. It was kind of, so it was all sort of interlocked there somehow. And it goes full circle that you're up there standing on stage playing with them. Incredible. Yeah. But you know what? Not being big, it just felt right. I didn't, I didn't, I mean, I was chuffed that I did it, but I wasn't that surprised somehow. Yeah. It felt right, yeah? I just felt like, right, you know. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Well, I'm going to bring you forward to probably your, 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 your teens now, and well, your later teens, I guess. Um, and I'm going to ask you for track five, the song that soundtracked your years going clubbing. Going clubbing. Um, and what sort of clubs were you going to, Glenn? Uh, well, do you know what? I, um, I, I was never really a kind of clubber. I was either doing gigs or I'd go to the bar, but there'd be music on. There was all the birds and their stuff. That was earlier on. Um, but I do remember, and um, I've got a couple of neighbours upstairs You've moved in and make a bit too much noise. These two gay guys, nothing wrong with that. But they kind of sometimes I get the impression that they think I'm a bit anti them, but it's just because they're annoying, nothing else. <laughs> but I do want to turn around to them and say, Listen, mate, don't give me none of this shit. I was down a sombrero in Kensington High Street doing the, doing a hustle where it was just all blokes. The only girl they'd ever let in was Jordan, you know, in 1974. Yeah, don't, don't you come the the sexist car with me, you know. Yeah. So stuff like that, you know, Louise's and... Did you like disco? It's kind of a laugh, you know. But, but looking back, some of those records are really well made, you know. Mm. But I tend to go clubbing abroad more than over here. You know, if I was in New York, I'd go out. I used to go in the mud club quite a lot. Really? Know? Yeah, the cramps would be playing, you know, They'd be playing stuff like, um, is that all there is? Or I followed you in my blue car by Christine, you know. That kind of thing. That used to go. I mean, you're the first person I know that's that's been there. So, but how was a night there, Glenn? I'm just, I'm just fascinated. I'm obsessed with club culture. What, in New York? Yeah. Bit Larry, really. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, I mean, the first time I ever went to New York, First time I ever went to America, I was, I was playing with Iggy Pop, right? And we did one show, we did like a warm-up show in Philadelphia, in a little club, the hot club in Philadelphia. And the next night, it was Halloween, we played, we headlined the, um, what was it called, on Canal Street, the Palladium in New York. In, and every, back then, you know, nobody used to really... In England, you celebrated Halloween. They'd sort of do these days, but they didn't back then. And the whole audience was in Halloween costumes. We were supported by the cramps. And backstage was Debbie Harry dressed as a witch. She gave me a kiss on the cheek. Oh, I mean, what more do you want from a night out? I went out clubbing, and I remember going to the mud club for the first time, and I had this, the queue down the street with a, a red rope. And I'm just sort of standing there. I think with somebody, I can't remember who I was with. And the bloke, you know, who was doing the guest list, he come and got me. He said, Glenn, you, hey, man, you don't, you don't queue up here, you know? I was like, ooh. <laughs> I like this. And I did. I made that sure I did. <laughs> was it a good night? I can't remember too much. I remember that, but I don't remember much after that. I, I, do, yeah, I do remember another thing. It's funny. Walking in the mud club. And to all intents and purposes, Wayne County was there. Right? And it... It was kind of a bit early doors, so there weren't that many people in the club. You had to go through this bit, and the bar was there, and then they opened up where the dance floor and the stage was. And it was winter, it was cold. And there's Wayne County with a big coat on and a bobble hat, you know, I knew Wayne, 
but I hadn't seen him for like six months or more. I mean, this was about 1980 or something by then. So I went highway, and the next thing, he is glaring at me with a handbag because I didn't know in the meantime Wayne was now Jane, but still looked exactly the fucking same. <laughs> and I went, I went sprawling right across the floor. And everything. <laughs> Oh, what Wayne, an entrance. Wayne, Wayne Jade is at least five foot ten, eleven, you know. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So it was funny. <laughs> uh, for track six, Glenn, I'm going to take you home and I'm going to ask you for a favourite song from an artist from your home county. So I guess we're, we're talking from London. From my home here. county? Or city. We'll well, go with London. The thing is, my home county doesn't really exist anymore. Mm. It's, I'm from Middlesex. Mm. So... But then lots of bands did come from Middlesex. I mean, lots of the, lots of the, there was a great program on Hill Pie Island. Oh, I went there for the first time last year. Yeah, but you can't get there though, can you? Well, it's... well, you can. You can only get all the action was over the other side. I know Hill Pie Island because again, when I was a kid, my uncle who gave me the records moved out to Twickenham and he had a house. I don't know how he did it. He was a cab driver and he had a whole house that he rented just down the road from Marble Hill Park and you walk down the end of the road and you was on the river, right? And what was good, there was a slipway and there was a car that I always wanted. It was an amphi car. You remember the amphi cars? No, it was a car on the road. It looked like a bit like a Renault Caravelle, but it had propellers on the back and you could drive straight in the river with it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of those. There was, so it was one of those parks at the end of the street, but you used to be able to hire a boat, you know, a rainboat, and we used to go... Was this we'll, before there was like a walk bridge? Because you can walk... No, the bridge was still there. Yeah. But this was a bit further down, and I didn't know the bridge was there. And we used to row down. I mean, I'm about 12, 13, like with me and Annie Granddad. We were always going down the pub. Round the other side of Ilpilem, and have a cup of tea and a bank and Zani, and then we, grand, then we go on a bit further, and we grand and have a pint and a balmy arms. But the, the building where you got a cup of tea and the bacon sarnie was, was the the hotel where the Yardbirds and the Stones and all that played. Right. But I was, I was too young and I was oblivious to all that, so I actually went there, but I never saw a band there. All I got was a bacon sandwich. <laughs> but now, if you go down there, there's a bridge over there, but you can't get through because it's all become like private. You can only get on one side of the island. But if you walk as far as you can go on the island, you have to go a bit further to where the rock action was. Yeah, he's... But all those bands that played there, you know, the Stones and the Arbirds and the Kings and Who, they were all from kind of... Well, lots of them. They, I, I, on this programme about Hill Pile, which you should download, there was a bit of a scene in sort of Twickenham or Felton, where... Lots of people who ended up really doing well in bands all went to school together, you know, like yeah. like um, Peter Frampton and people like that, that kind of built, you know, and they play there. And, yeah, so, and that's in Middlesex. Okay. So, right, so what song can I pick from that? Oh, don't know. But that was, it's just any, my favourite band from there. Yeah, pick us a track that, uh, that, that, yeah, well, yeah. Can I just pick a Faces song? Because this was the one, one song I never got to play with them, although we rehearsed it once and it sounded good, but they didn't want to do it because they they was all moaning. They were bam, were about to split up when they recorded it. It was You Can Make Me Dance, which is kind of a bit weird because I think it's the most up song ever. And Max said, he said, you know what, I've got publishing on that. But Rod Stewart said, what's it going five ways? It's hardly worth putting out. <laughs> <laughs> It's that mindset that probably means that's why you ain't struggling with a mortgage, I know. Christ. Oh, yeah. Do you know, do you know what? When I was doing that, and, um, and um, Mick Hucknall was doing it, we all went to see Bobby Womack, and Ronnie Wood was a bit late coming, and he'd been out and done a run it with Stuart. And he dragged him along to come and say hello, which he did. Bobby Womack comes on stage. This is at the... Um, place in Camden, Jazz Cafe, Yeah, comes out, you know, and it's like 
the small little stage, the stage is crowded. And I said, how many people are on that stage? And I'm in the middle, and there's Hutton on one side, he's a little bit taller than me, and Rod Stewart, he used to be a little bit taller than me, but he's the other side, and we're counting up, and there's about 12 of them on this tiny little stage, and Rod Stewart, well, Mick Hutton is a multi-millionaire, and Rod Stewart is a multi, multi-millionaire, said over to me, and both lead singers said over the top of my head, he'll never make any money. <laughs> there many people in the band. <laughs> that's why they're rich. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm all right. That's, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, look, for your last song, Glenn, this is your chance to kind of play play DJ, really, and, and it's it's a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. So this is where you can kind of turn someone onto something new that you think many people oh, might be aware so of. Well the, first, well, the first one that's coming to my head like that is... Alex Chilton, Bangkok. Do you know that? I don't. Tell me about that. It was... Alex Chilton was a singer in Big Star, but before that he was a singer in the Box Tops. He's a, he's a great person to bring into when you're talking to an American and you're moaning about how you say words. You know, and they call it airplane and it's aeroplane. They say, no, it's airplane. I go, well, how's that song go? Give me a ticket from an aeroplane. And they go, yeah, all right. Right, and that's him, you know, doing the letter. But then he he made loads, I don't know all of his stuff, but he was producing the cramps in the early 80s, but he made this record called Bangkok, and it's one of the most whacked-out things I've ever heard, but it's fantastic. What sort of thing is it? It's sort of like Space Age Blues with nutty lyrics. It's all about somebody living in Bangkok. Alex Chilton sort of had his time on the darker side of life, let's say. So it's all those kind of concerns. I mean, it's quite an up thing. It's not miserable or anything. Yeah. And it's all out of time, but it's not so, so clever. And the guitar playing's real discordant and not, but it's not. Everything's great. And there's a fantastic drum roll in it, like a snare roll. It's a machine gun round. Check it out. It's it's fun. It's out out, Tom Waits, Tom Waits. Oh, really? Yeah, it's but but rocks more. But it was from when he was doing the the cramps. You listen to it, you go like, oh, yeah, the cramps. You know, loads of tape back on. Well, everyone can check that because what I'll do, Glenn, is I'll put together a Spotify playlist to accompany the podcast so people can go and listen to all the songs that we've spoken about today. as we kind of find ourselves in a new year, you know, in a bizarre sort of kind of time, um, what are you looking forward to about this year, you know, personally and, and what's happening professionally? Um, well, I'm back to trying to get my record out, basically. Um, at the moment, it's kind of people you're talking to, they all want you to do a tour, you know, and there's no tours to be had, so... But plus there's then Brexit with work permits and Yeah, that's a bit crackers as well, isn't it? As if I was, you know um, Dunno. What about what about Glenn the human being? What are you looking forward to? Um I don't know really. I'm not even really thinking about it too much. It sounds a bit daft, but Wish it was a bit warmer. I'm I in a way. I'm kind of slightly enjoying what's going on. I think people are generally a bit friendlier. Mm, definitely. I've got a good outdoor coffee club around the corner where you meet your neighbours, and I've got quite a few reasons. I see Weller quite a lot. He lives around the corner. And I haven't seen him for a while. I think he moved out of town, but Money Wood pushes the pram. It's a bit funny up to the park. Yeah. You know. <laughs> All the. Lives around the corner. Chrissy Iron, people like that. So you bump into people like that and have a chat. Yeah. Andrew from Primal Screen, Gary Crowley. You know, plus other people who... Oh, that's a tidy little coffee club you got going there. Yeah, they're not all there at the same time, you know, but it's a bit like Stella Street. Yeah. I was thinking I might be doing a podcast, you know, sitting outside the, the coffee thing. That's a great idea. Yeah, maybe... Might do that. I'm just thinking of things like that. I'm a bit like what I should have to at the moment. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Glenn, 
thanks so much for your time, mate. It's been a real, real privilege getting a chat oh, record you, with you. You never answer me a question. No, thanks. I've enjoyed. I always enjoy talking about myself, so it's <laughs> But behind you, is that a real brick ball? Or no, is it mate. £2.99 a, a roll from the range, mate. It's oh, it's a real one. I thought it might be one. Of, yeah, but it's a real backdrop. It's just, yeah, it's just me wallpaper, no, mate. Yeah, because some of these things, people, you can fuzzle all the background. No, no, it's really weird because I do like some of my business meetings in this in this thing. And, and what people can't see, if I tip the screen, it's like, it, it's actually me, me bar. Like, I've got a little kind of shed that I've converted into a bar. So I try not to do my business meetings at nine o'clock in the morning with a big row of top shelf booze there because it looks uh, oh, right, a little, yeah. little bit dodgy. But yeah, it's nothing too uh, plush, just some cheap wallpaper. But uh, yeah. it does the trick. Well, it's very convincing. <laughs> Oh, thanks, mate. It's no 500-pound Tony Hancock Rebel poster, I know. Yeah, but at least it won a 12 grand. What's his face Or Fellini or something like that. Yeah, I had a Fellini one there, and all like eight and a half. I went, I went, I played with Iggy Pop. And we went to Berlin, and I, I kind of was overdoing it a bit, and I ended up, in a strange hotel where the manager was staying because I'd, I'd threatened to walk out on the tour and I was like, you know. And I woke up and I got taken down to breakfast and there was all these sort of Berlin little old ladies with hats on with cake stands, you know, sandwiches, you know, those old-fashioned ones. And this fantastic, like, 30s-style building, which was like something out of Cabaret or a Christa Russia would book. Um, staring at me, and I was having my, I was having a Steiner lager and a boiled egg. And the, the guy who was mates with Iggy Pop's manager came in and saw the lady staring, and he went, "Ladies, ladies, behave yourselves. Have you never seen a man eating his breakfast before?" And it was like three o'clock in the afternoon. And I go, <laughs> anyway, I got down to this place and said, "Come with me." Well. And he took me into the room next door and he had all these stock on them. My ex used to be a seamstress. They're like, you know, like dressmakers dummies. And he had a whole room and it had about 20 costumes in it. And they were all the costumes from um, Armara Court or something like one of Fellini's movies about, you know, the popes and all that. And the guy who owned this sort of like private, small, 10 room hotel had been big mates with Fellini and they'd given all his costumes and wow. he had them it was fantastic it was great that's what I like about touring you get to do really odd things yeah oh. come on Glenn thank you so much mate it's been, right. it's been really really nice there you go Glenn Matlock I mean if you would have told a 19 year old me jumping around on stage screaming lyrics down a mic that uh, I would spend an hour recording an interview uh, with a pistol with somebody that's been on stage and, and stood there playing opposite, you know, Ronnie Wood, stood there playing with Vicky Pop doing his thing. You know, I'd never have believed you. So it was, um, it was a real, real privilege and a pleasure. And I hope that you lot got as much joy listening to that conversation as, uh, as I did having it. Um, so thanks again, uh, to Glenn, thanks to you lot for supporting this podcast. Um, like I said at the beginning of this, there's well over 200 episodes now, so go and get stuck in and uh, go and explore the back catalogue because you'll find so many um, other amazing chats with some wonderful musicians, producers, comedians, actors. Just just go and get stuck in because uh, there's some ace stuff to be listened to. And, uh, and you can find out about all of that at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. I'm back next time. Thanks again. Stay safe. Bye-bye. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. 
And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track Podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. It's me, Stu Whipping. Eat a pocket.